you have one day to bad angels. And uh, we're just going to talk about Satan. We're going to talk about demons. We're going to talk about what their schemes are. And then the next, well, next Sunday is Easter, by the way. And uh, so we'll, do, we'll be talking about angels in a whole different context next, next Sunday. Um, yeah. And uh, it's all, I put it all right there, babe. And uh, so if you have notes, um, get them out. If you have your device, whatever you have, there's extra notes up here spread out if you need them. So um, if you don't know it, I'm, I'm going to give you some uh, news that the church is under attack. Um, why are you laughing, Ozzy? Yeah. <laughs> the church. The church. And uh, this, is, this is what Peter says. And 1st and 2nd uh, Peter were not written to individuals. Peter was writing to the church at large, primarily Gentiles. And so he writes to them and he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So we have this uh, admonition uh, by Peter the Zealous that uh, we are to be on alert, that we're to be vigilant. Because here's the thing. The devil hates righteousness. That's, that's his target. The devil's target is righteousness. And, um, and, and so here's what, here's what 1 John says. That if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we are cleansed from unrighteousness, if, if we are cleansed, that means that we stand before the Lord righteous. And so what does this forgiveness, what does this righteousness mean? It means that you and I, who have accepted the work of the cross, who have accepted the risen Savior's um, power and authority, that we have been pardoned from the penalty of sin. We've been pardoned from, from death, which is what the punishment of sin was. And doing that, that um, here's, what, here's what Luke tells us that Jesus proclaimed. When Jesus came and he began his ministry, he, he declared what the prophet Isaiah had said about him. He said, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, which is a pardon, to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, which is to pardon, those who have been oppressed. And the same word that God will forgive, do you have extra notes here? Can you give a set to Albert? Oh, you got one? Okay. Anybody else need notes? Back there in the back row. Just give them to Joni and, and them as you walk out. Yeah, Lisa needs some. Pass them up here. Just so y'all know, we post the notes every Sunday morning really early online. So you can print them before you come. And it uh, helps everybody not have to worry if they've printed enough for somebody else. And if you have an electronic device, you can go to the website and the notes are on the website. And so just a little footnote. So we're, we're talking about pardon here. And here's the reason the devil hates righteousness, is because he will never be pardoned. See, he knows what his demise is, and he hates those who've accepted the work of the cross because he had it all. He rejected it all for the sake of his own beauty and his own pride. 
And so because we've confessed Jesus as our Savior, and we've asked for forgiveness, we, according to Scripture, are made righteous. Our sins are washed away. We're pure. That's the only way we can have fellowship with God. And in that righteousness, we've been pardoned from the, the punishment, which would be eternal separation from God. And Satan will never, ever be pardoned. He is eternally separated from God. In fact, he has a demise coming where he's going to be cast into a lake of fire that Scripture tells us in Matthew 26 was created for the devil and his angels. And so he hates those who've accepted the redemptive work of the cross because every time he sees, he hears one of us pray, he sees us walk in righteousness, it reminds him, it reminds his minions, it reminds the hordes of hell that they will never, ever be pardoned. They will never have a chance to be redeemed. Their, their destiny is set. And we're going to read, the, the demons know that. We're going to read some scriptures here where the demons even tell Jesus, is, is it time already? Has, has our time come? They know what their demise is. But here's the thing that we need to walk and we need to understand we can never lose sight of. And, and if you walk away with anything today, walk away with this. Jesus is more real. Jesus is more powerful, and Jesus is in control. There is nothing the enemy can do in the face and the name and the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who came in the flesh, who died on the cross, who was buried and resurrected from the dead, ascended on high, sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. This is what Paul says when he writes to the church at Colossae, Colossians 1.16. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So Jesus has all authority over authorities. Jesus has all authority over rulers, over principalities. He has all authority over that. And Jesus declared himself in Matthew 28. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then Jesus translated that authority or handed that authority over to us. Before he ascended, he said this, The works that I do, you will do also, and greater than, work, greater than this works you will do because I go to the Father. So this authority that Jesus had that he gathered, that, that he got by his death and resurrection, when Satan killed somebody he had no right to kill, when he murdered Jesus, he lost his authority, relinquished it to Jesus. Jesus gives that authority to us. And so Jesus has defeated the enemy. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says this. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. So when Adam sinned, there were certificates, there were, there were decrees against us, which Adam relinquished everything to Satan, and we, in essence, became his ownership. The decree said Adam gave up his rulership, relinquished it, and he gave it to Satan. And so everybody who was of the, the seed of Adam was underneath that decree, underneath that certificate, and that we were all under bondage of sin. We were slaves, as it were, and Satan had full authority over us until Jesus came because Jesus was not of the seed of Adam. Jesus was of the seed of woman. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Jesus was the one man. Remember, he's fully man, he's fully God. He was the one man that Satan did not own because he was not of the seed of Adam. And so when Satan killed Jesus, he killed the one man he didn't own. And because he murdered him, which is what he did, he became subject to the law. And the law was, thou shalt not kill. And if you kill, you are punished. 
And so he relinquished that, and Jesus captured that authority back to us, and he gave it to us to exercise, not just now, but through all eternity. Scripture tells us that you and I will rule and reign with Jesus throughout all eternity. What does that look like? I have no idea. You want me to explain it? I can't. I just know it's going to be really cool. It's going to be good. You know, and we are going to be ruling, ruling the reign of Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father in full authority. And here's what it says in Colossians 2.14. Having this canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So here's two things. Number one, all of the principalities have been disarmed. That means they have no arms. They've all been defeated. That means they have no feet. Isn't that what that means? <laughs> no? But we need to see them like that. Okay? They don't have the authority that Jesus has given us, and we need to walk in that. Okay? And so let's talk about the nature of Satan. First of all, Satan had a great beginning. His name is Lucifer. He was created as part of the angelic realm. And he was the highest ranking of all the angels. This is, what, this is what Isaiah says and what Ezekiel says. He says, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And by the way, whenever scripture talks about the stars of God, that's a word for angels. So he says, I will exalt myself above all the angels. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Then Ezekiel says this, You, Lucifer, were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. So he had everything as a created being. And he allowed his pride to look upon himself. He convinced himself that he was greater than God, that he could ascend above the throne of God, and that he should be the one that would be lifted up. He was lifted up by his own beauty. He sought to exalt himself above God, and he rebelled. And when he did so, Scripture tells us he took a third of the angels with him. Ezekiel talks about it, but in Revelation it says, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and drew them to earth. So we have these demons are a third of the angels of heaven who are created beings, angelic beings, who are created in beauty. They were the followers of Lucifer. Lucifer, I, I can't even begin to picture what it's like to be created where you have timbrels and pipes. To where when you walk, you make music. I mean, what, or, you know, when you fly, you make music. Music went through him, and then he was covered with every precious stone. He was covered in gold. 
what does that look like? How, and, and, and because of all that beauty, because, in fact, the Bible says you were made perfect. There wasn't one flaw in him. And he allowed that perfection to become that which he worshipped. And he thought that that perfection made him better than everybody else, including God. And so he fell. And so we need to understand that in his nature, he is invisible, but he's also able to appear. And this is what scripture says. Then he showed me, this is Zechariah, who has this vision. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So Zechariah has this vision, this prophecy. Now, if you understand who Zechariah is, if you remember your Old Testament, Ezra's been sent back. It, the captivity has ended uh, for Babylon. They're allowed to start to go back to Jerusalem. Ezra has been sent back to rebuild the temple, and he takes children of Israel with him. When they get to Israel and they start building the temple, they forget the temple and they start building their own homes. And, it, and Zechariah tells us they did this for 16 years. And so God sends them to prophesy. And so this Joshua, the high priest, he's talking about, it's not Joshua we think about in the book of Joshua. It is actually Joshua who is the high priest at that time. So Zechariah and Joshua and Zerubbabel are the ones who kind of rebuke and at the same time encourage the children of Israel to quit building their homes and to get back to the task that God had sent them back to Israel to do, to rebuild the temple. Then eventually Nehemiah hears that not just the temple, but the walls of the city have also been destroyed in the gates. So Nehemiah gets permission from King Xerxes or Artaxerxes, um, Esther's husband, to go back and to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. So when Zechariah's prophesying here, he's talking, he sees in this vision, he saw Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing next to him to oppose him. Why was he opposing Joshua the high priest? Because Israel was in the process of being restored. The temple worship was in the process of being reestablished. And if you read this, the, the book of Ezra, when the temple gets rebuilt and they find the scrolls and they open the scrolls and the silence as the Spirit of God falls upon the children of Israel as the, as the scrolls are opened, that's the one thing Lucifer didn't want. He didn't want Israel to experience again the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Lord in their lives. We also saw in Matthew 4, 1 through 3, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him. So we know that Satan appeared to Jesus, and we know the, the, the dialogue that took place between them. Understand, Jesus was the one perfect man that Satan had no authority over. So Satan's purpose in that temptation when Jesus came out of the wilderness if he could get Jesus to sin, if he could get Jesus to submit to him in just one of the three temptations, there would never, ever, 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 ever be in another person who could challenge his authority and take away what he had taken. He had to get Jesus to sin. If Jesus didn't sin and he killed Jesus as a perfect man, one upon whom he had no authority, no ownership, Satan would lose everything. He knew that. So that's why he tempted Jesus when he came out of the wilderness. If you get Jesus to sin, then we wouldn't be here today. We would all be a bigger mess. So here's some of the things about Satan. First of all, he's a murderer and a liar. This is Jesus. Now, in John 8, it's, if, you, if you read John 8, it's this dialogue that goes back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees challenge Jesus with one-line challenges, and Jesus just rips them apart 
You know, and so in this part here, he says, this is what he says to the Pharisees. He says, you are of the father, your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Satan is the creator. He's the father of lies. It's in him. It says that it was his own resources. But understand this. To be a liar, you have to know the truth. You need to let that sink in. You can't lie if you don't know the truth. So Satan knows everything the Word of God says is truth. He knows everything about God is true. He knows everything about Jesus is true. He knows everything we stand in is true. And because he knows the truth, that's how he can come to us as an angel of light, and he can take the truth and he can twist it just a little bit to make it a white lie, but just enough deception to cause us to believe him. And the Bible says as the return of Jesus draws closer and closer and closer, and we'll read about this in a moment, Satan is going to have his own ministers. He's going to have his own doctrines. They're going to be taught in the church. And so we need to be aware in the day of the hour that we know the truth. We know who Jesus is. We know what his word says. We stand about upon it. We don't allow ourselves to be deceived, to be sucked into the doctrines of demons or into the ministers of Satan. Satan is also an accuser. Right now, according to the Bible, he is in the presence of God in heaven making accusations about each one of us. Here's, here's what it says, Revelation 12.10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast out. It's at this moment in Revelation 12 that Satan is cast out of heaven for good. He's not cast into hell yet, but in, in Revelation 12, he's never allowed to come back into the presence of God and make accusation about us. But right now it says day and night... He is before the throne of the Father, making accusation about us. And it's the same scenario we see in the book of Job. It was Satan, it was Satan accusing Jesus, or God, of showing favoritism to Job. He said the reason Job is such a good guy is because the guy has no problems. He has, his life is easy street. He's got money, he's got kids, he's got power, he's got everything. And we'll read in just a moment how Satan has to... He, how he's limited in his authority. So he's also our adversary. I read that in the first verse in 1 Peter 5, 8. Satan is a limited creature. First of all, he's limited by God. Let's go back to the story of Job. This is, this is the scenario. Satan has come, you know, and said, the reason Job, you have such, you know, it's Jesus who said, have you seen my servant Job? Have you seen how he serves me? And Satan comes back and says, of course he serves you. Who wouldn't serve you? If, they, if you had given everybody everything you've given Job, who wouldn't want to serve you? And this is what Jesus says to Satan. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. So the one thing Satan said, because of everything you've given him, he serves you. So Jesus says, Okay, everything he has is in your power. Do whatever you want to do to everything Job has. But then he said this, Only do not lay a hand on his person. So, Satan is limited in power by God. Even Satan had to ask permission to do what he did to Job. So, when Satan comes and, and makes accusations, remember we have this picture also when Jesus is talking with Peter. He says, Peter, 
Satan has come and he's asked permission to sift you. So, so he's telling him, he's giving a warning. Satan has to ask permission to do what he does in our lives. And we need to know when, when we get overpowered with whatever it is we struggle with, temptation, you know, to, to lie, to steal, to cheat, to lust, whatever that is, if it's happening in our life, God has given them permission. Satan has to have permission to do what he does in our life. And we have the authority, because as our adversary, we have the authority to say no. But we're in this constant process of being perfected, this constant process of standing in righteousness. So not only is he limited by God, he's not even close to being equal to God. John 4, 4, 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children who have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, Satan. Okay, so he's not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, he's not infinite in any way. He doesn't know everything. He only knows what he's learned. He's only, he only knows what he knows by experience. He doesn't know tomorrow. He doesn't know the future. He only knows what he knows by his experiences. And believers who are submitted to God can resist the devil. James, the brother of Jesus, says, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And let me tell you what the key to this is. There are too many people who are trying to resist the, de the devil without submitting to God. You cannot resist the devil if you're not submitted to God. And the way you submit to God is your life is bathed in his word. Your life is bathed in his presence. You're talking to him constantly. He's talking to you. You're walking in obedience. Once you're submitted to God, then you have the authority to resist the devil. But too many people just think, I'm a Christian. Too many people are talking to demons that they have no idea what they're dealing with because they're not submitted to God. We also know that Satan has a personality. He has intellect. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So he had a scheme. He was a smart guy. And here's where his smartness was. He didn't go to Adam, and that's not in any way diminishing women. He, the reason he didn't go to Adam was because Adam had the information firsthand. God spoke directly to Adam. Adam, in turn, told Eve what God said. So when Lucifer comes in his craftiness, he doesn't challenge. He says, you know what? God just lied to you. What he does is he asks a question that causes Eve to analyze what she says, and it shows us she didn't even fully understand what Adam had said because, you know, because the serpent said, as God said, you shall not eat of this tree in the garden, you know, and, and she says, well, we can't even touch it. You know, God says we can't even touch it. God never said that. He said you can't eat of it. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. So in his craftiness, he got Eve to begin to look at the fruit, and his next response is, well, you know why he doesn't want you to eat it, right? It's not because you're going to die. If you eat it, he knows you're going to be just like him. And then what's going to happen? So he doesn't want you to eat it because he doesn't want you to be like him. He deceived her. He hit that one area, the very thing that caused Lucifer to fall, I will ascend above the most high, was the very thing he was tempting Eve with. He says he doesn't want you to eat it because you're going to be just like him. And so she falls. And uh, in which, by the way, you know, Adam's responsible for his own decision. You know, he had to have seen, once Eve ate of that apple, her demeanor, her character, her appearance had to have changed because sin entered her life. So when he came and Eve had already bitten into the fruit, Adam had to have known there was something different because he was still walking in perfection. 
she was walking in sin. And yet he chose sin over perfection. So he has intellect. He also has emotions. Revelation 12, 17. The dragon, who is Satan in the book of Revelation, was enraged. Why? With the woman. Now, in this, in this instance, the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commands of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The woman is Israel, and the ones that Satan's making war with here are Jews who have accepted Christ as Messiah. So he is specifically pretty upset with Jews who have accepted Christ as Messiah, and so he's going after them. He's enraged with them. And he has a will, 2 Timothy 2.26, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And so he has a will. He has a purpose. He has, his, his plan is to get humanity to submit to his will as opposed to the will of God, to do his bidding as opposed to the bidding of God. And because he na- he's an angel of light and because he's a deceiver, Unless there are those who just blatantly say, I worship Satan, most people don't understand the depth of their deception because they've accepted it as truth. We live in a society, we live in a culture right now where everything this book says that we call the, the, the bread of life, they're telling us what it says is a lie. I just read today um, that they're, not that we care, but they're down to three cities deciding who's going to be the next two Super Bowls, and Atlanta is one of the cities, and the NFL has come to the owner of the Atlanta Falcons and said, look it, um, I don't think we can do the Super Bowl in Atlanta because the state of Georgia is passing a law that doesn't recognize gay marriage. Yes. So because they're not going to recognize, because of the policy of the NFL is to be fully accepting of every walk of life, they're saying, here's the thing, because they haven't made it a law yet. So now it's up to vote before the two, and, and they have enough votes to pass it. So the NFL is twisting the arm of the owner of the Atlanta Falcons, who's going to the, to the uh, politicians and says, man, if you pass this law, you don't get the Super Bowl. That's what's happened. That is the will of the enemy. That's how he's putting his will upon our culture and upon our society, um, to make people believe that what is right is wrong and that which is wrong is right. That's his will and he's done a very good job at it and humanity has allowed him to do so. Here's the activity of Satan. Satan is seeking to oppose God's plan by promoting evil in every way possible. Okay, he blinds the minds of unbelievers to hinder their understanding of the gospel. And this is what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, but even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, Satan, has blinded. So, Paul is saying the people whose minds cannot receive the gospel is because they've allowed the will of Satan to veil their minds. Satan, who he calls the God of this age. When the gospel is heard or understood, then he tries to hinder its effect. Jesus says this in Luke 8, 12. When he's talking, he's talking the parable about the seeds that were sown. He says... The seeds that fell by the wayside are a picture of those who have heard the word of God, but the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So there are people who hear the word of God, and according to this, according to Jesus, the word of God even touches their heart. But the enemy comes in and deceives them, 
and removes the seed because he knows if the seed is allowed to grow, to plant and to nurture, that it will grow and the people will believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that there is a way of salvation and they will be saved. So part of Satan's scheme is even today, the word that we receive today as believers is to convince believers there's no demons, to, to convince uh, believers that Satan has no power and authority because Jesus took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and he gave the keys to Peter. You know, and so Satan has no authority. We give him way too much attention, which is a lie, which is part of his will. If Satan can get us to believe he doesn't exist or he doesn't have authority, he doesn't have power, he can just do whatever he wants to do in the church. And there are a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians, who don't believe Satan has any power and authority over their life because they're saved. And yet they continue to walk in bondage and in sin. He also uses persecution and false religion to hinder the effect of the gospel. Revelation chapter 2. Now this is, this is the letter to the church of Pergamos. And it says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. So Jesus is telling John, write this letter to the church of Pergamos and tell him this. Guys, you're about ready to suffer. He says, don't fear the things you're about to suffer. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. I mean, <laughs> I haven't got that letter yet. I'm kind of glad, you know. But we actually, we have all got that letter. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Count all things as lost for the sake of the cross. But he goes on and says, and this is what he says about him. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. So Pergamos was such a vile city that Jesus said his, the throne of the devil is actually in the middle of the city, in that culture. And you hold fast to my name and do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, uh, in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. It's the first martyr to be mentioned in the book of Revelation. So Satan tempts believers in many ways, and we all know these, but we need to be mindful of them. Number one, he tempts us to be unforgiving. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes is in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. So one of the schemes of the enemy is to put unforgiveness in our heart. Jesus says really clear in the Sermon on the Mount, if you don't forgive, I don't forgive. If you don't forgive your enemies, I'm not going to forgive you. Satan wants us to have unforgiveness in our heart because he knows if we have unforgiveness in our heart, we cannot walk in forgiveness. And let's go back to 1 John 1, 9. The forgiveness of sin causes us to be righteous. We walk in righteousness. Satan doesn't want us to be forgiven of sin because then we are in unrighteousness, and that gives him license to do what he wants to do. So he wants to make sure we have unforgiveness in our heart so that God won't forgive us, and therefore we are unrighteous, and therefore we are free reign for him. We're, we're just like you know a little lamb tied to a stake in the middle of the field in front of the lions, and he just comes and pounces on us and devours us. And, and I just want to admonish you right now, if there's anyone in your life 
that somehow you have justified they don't deserve your forgiveness, I'm going to tell you flat out you are wrong. I don't care what they've done to you. I don't care what they've said about you. I don't care what they've taken to you. I don't care how they've hurt you, molested you, whatever they've done to you. According to Scripture, unless you forgive them, you cannot walk in forgiveness. And Satan does not want you to walk in forgiveness because he hates righteousness. Righteousness is his enemy. Because when we walk in righteousness, we walk in freedom. We have this tag on our chest that says pardoned. The tag he'll never have. He'll never carry it. He's a liar, in case you didn't know. Peter, you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira? They saw everybody were, was giving, selling everything they have, and brought, bringing it to the church, and, and everybody was able to take advantage of it. They put all the money in one pot, and so they thought, we want to get that recognition, so they sell a piece of land, but they decide to keep part of the money for themselves and yet make everybody think they gave everything. And so as they walk in to give it, Peter says to Ananias, the husband, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. And if you know the story, he falls dead right then. As they're carrying his body out, his wife comes in. Peter asks her the same question. She says, yes, we gave you everything. He says, you're going to die. Talks about dogs eating them and all that great stuff. Um, but, but Satan is the father of lies. He says, look at Ananias, you're lying to us right now because Satan, the father of lies, has put it in your heart to lie. And you have accepted his invitation to lie. He's prideful, and he tempts us to be prideful. First, First Chronicles 21, 1 through 8, the story is when David counted his army. Um, the reason that was a sin was because God never wanted David to put his trust in how many soldiers he had. He always wanted David's trust to be in God's ability to deliver them, whether he had a, ten soldiers or whether he had a million soldiers. But David, it says right here, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So even David, the man after God's own heart, his heart was moved a number of times to do things he shouldn't do. But this time his heart was moved to count his army, to count how many. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, bring the number of them to me that I may know. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he struck Israel. So David said to God, I've sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. So he counts Israel when he shouldn't have because of pride. And, so, and it was Satan who stood up against Israel and put it in David's heart to number Israel. He also encourages us or tempts us with immorality. We live in, in probably the most immoral time in the history of the world. Um, you know, Rome was a very immoral, and, and Rome fell in its immorality. But what happened in Rome, that, was, that stayed in Rome. Now what happens here happens all over the world. The immorality is rampant. It doesn't matter if you're in Malawi. It doesn't matter if you're in New York City. It doesn't matter if you're in Azusa. It doesn't matter if you're in the church or out of the church. It doesn't matter if you say you love Jesus or you say you don't love Jesus. Immorality is rampant. And 1 Corinthians 7, 5, <clears throat> Paul talking about husbands and wives, and about fasting, about the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. He says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. 
He says, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Then he says, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He's talking to everybody. You know, he's saying, you know, yes, there's a time when a husband and wife can say, okay, we're not going to have intimate relationships because we're going to fast and pray and we're going to forsake everything. But Paul says, guys, don't go too long. You know, come to a time because when that happens, God has put that desire within you and, and the enemy will come and tempt that and, and use immorality to tempt you. So make sure that you remain intimate with your husband and wife. He also uses discouragement. Peter, again, writing to the church at large, says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, <clears throat> walks about like a roaring lion, lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So he's saying, don't give in to this temptation to see the suffering around the world and become discouraged and distracted and lose hope. He says that's part of his ploy. He says, remain steadfast in your faith. Believe what brought you to salvation. Believe in the word of God. Satan also hinders the ministries of believers. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 2.18. This is Paul talking now. He says, therefore, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. So Paul even recognized the times that he wanted to come to Thessalonica as opposed to write a letter. Every time they got ready to come, the enemy did something that hindered them from coming. He recognized that. He wanted them to know that it's a, it's a spiritual battle for us to get to you. Satan also promotes false teaching among believers. I talked about this earlier, but this is what Scripture says. Again, this is John writing. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So, there are, the Bible says even the demons believe. You know, they believe who Jesus is. Our salvation is not based upon belief. Our salvation is based upon the confession of sin and the completed work of the cross, Romans 5, 8, you know, <clears throat> Romans 10, 9, and 10. You know, believe in our heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and confess with our mouth the lordship of Jesus Christ. Believe is not in there, and he says, and that results in salvation. So believing is not enough. We have to walk in the authority of salvation. And finally, Satan promotes anger, bitterness, and division. It's Paul, when he writes to the church of Ephesus, says, Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sin go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So if we go to bed mad, um, you know, we may wake up madder. I don't know. My wife and I really work hard at not going to bed mad, so sometimes we go to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, because I'm so stubborn, because I'm always right. Um <clears throat> Notice only the men said amen. <laughs> so that's the nature of Satan. So what are the nature of the demons? Those third of the angels of heaven that fell because he convinced them to go with them. So 
Understand, demons are the same nature of angels. Demons are personal, they're intelligent beings, but they're also morally wicked. So demons are invisible, but they also are able to appear, just as Lucifer appeared and as Zechariah saw the vision of Joshua and Satan standing there, just as Jesus was encountered by Satan in the wilderness after his 40-day fast. Demons are visible and also able to appear. This is what John sees in his vision. He said, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Then he explains what he saw. He said, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place in, called in Hebrew Armageddon. So we see that these demons are going to control by doing signs, it says, the kings of the earth to come to Armageddon and to fight against Israel and they'll ultimately fight against God. Demons are deceitful. This is what I'm talking about, doctrines, the teachings. The demons are subtly moving into the church. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. So what does that mean? To depart from the faith means you had to have had faith. Isn't that what that means? So he's saying there will be those who have had faith. And whenever Scripture in the New Testament talks about faith, it's talking about confession of Jesus Christ being the Son of God. We're talking about salvation, faith in Christ, um, faith in God through Christ. And he says they will depart from the faith. Why? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen and 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So he says, even in the last days, there are going to be false apostles. There are going to be deceitful workers. Those who are going to transform themselves, people are going to think, apostle means messenger sent one, that these are messengers from Christ who are bringing them the message of Christ. And if you don't know Scripture and you don't know the message of Christ, those who have faith will hear those teachings that will tickle their ears, and they will embrace that teaching. And part of that teaching is already rampant in the church. It's the teaching of false grace. This teaching that says, because you are cleansed under the blood of Jesus, it's okay to sin because you can be forgiven. So go ahead and do what you want to do. Then all you have to do is repent, and you're okay. And there are those who don't preach sin anymore in church. They don't call people to task about sin. They just say, you know, God loves you. He just wants you to have a wonderful life. You know, he just wants you to be happy. And so if you fall, it's okay. Just go ahead and tell him you're sorry, and he'll love you. And you'll be okay, and you just keep doing what you're doing. And if you fall again, it's okay. He loves you. That is, that, see, has just enough truth in it to tickle your ears. He does love you. He will forgive you. But he's very clear. If you willfully sin, I'm not going to put up with it. If you willfully walk away from the faith, it's going to be seven times harder for you to come back because you're going to open yourself up to things you never even imagined before. And so it says here, that those who were once of the faith gave heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And demons like Satan have intelligence. They're not stupid. 
Well, they are stupid in some ways. I mean, let's face it, they're going to burn forever because they were stupid. Okay, they knew Christ's identity and power. It says here in Mark one thirty four. Then he healed many who were sick. This is Jesus beginning his ministry. Healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So why didn't Jesus want the demons to speak? He was just beginning his ministry. He wanted people to accept who he was by faith. He didn't want the demons to say, whoa, this is the guy who created us. This is God. So he didn't allow them to speak, but they had intelligence enough to know that Jesus, who came in the flesh, is the Son of God, the one who created them and spoke them into existence. Um, Mark 5, 6, and 7. When he saw Jesus from afar, this, this is a demoniac. This is a man who has a demon. So when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. So the demon within the man speaks to the man and says, you get this? A demon-possessed man falls down and worships Jesus. Why does he do that? Because he's saying, I know I'm going to be tormented. Just don't do it now, please. That's really what he's saying. He's, he's begging for mercy. They know their own future judgment. Listen to what Matthew 8, 28 and 29. And when he had come to the other side to the country of the, the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. Then suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So they knew that it wasn't the time for the end. They knew at the end they were going to get it, but they were smart enough to know that Jesus was coming, but not smart enough to know that it wasn't the end yet, or that they, that they may not be punished, but they're saying, have you come to punish us before it's time to punish us? They can attempt to predict the future, but they don't know the future. Acts 16, 16, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. So understand, the knowledge of demons is not infinite. Everything demons know they have learned through thousands of years of experience and observation. Now, are there mediums? Are there fortune-tellers? I mean, there's a woman who makes a lot of money on TV. What do they call her? The whatever. The, she's, she's able to read people's, to talk to dead people. The medium, yeah. Long Island medium, yeah. Can I tell you that I believe she does have real revelation? But she, she never has revelation of anything that isn't already known. The demons are telling her what's already known about dead people. But she has opened herself up. She's a nice lady, I'm sure. You know, she's, she's sweet. She's kind. Nobody would see her as evil. But she's opened herself up to the demonic to where she is able to have them talk to her, to tell them things that people would say, well, how could anybody know that? Well, they know it because they saw it already. They've already been there. They're deceivers. And, and so people buy it, hook, line, and sinker. People want the supernatural. People want you to tell them how God loves them, has a plan for life. That's why the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and prophecy. 
You understand that? He's given us word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and prophecy so that we go and minister to people. If we're walking in the Holy Spirit, we can say, Holy Spirit, show me something in this person's life that only you would know so I can speak it into their lives so that they will know you are real. And what Jesus shows, Jesus tells something nobody knows as opposed to demons who tell something that's already happened. Jesus can bring revelation. Nobody knows yet. Jesus can tell us people have cancer before anybody knows they have cancer. Jesus can tell us something about their future, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. And it's given to us for the sake of bringing people to Christ. So <clears throat> they also have, you know, great strength. And again, and who had this dwelling among the tubes talking, we've already read Mark 4 about these two guys who came out and were keeping anybody from going by. And they tried to bind them with chains. And because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. So anytime, however many guys got him down and put chains on him, the demonic power in him was so strong he could break chains. Again, Acts 19.16, the man who, in whom the evil spirit leapt upon them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So one guy, demon-possessed, jumps on a gr group of men, not only beats them up, but takes all their clothes off, and the guys go running out of the house naked, screaming. There's got to be a lot of stuff happening for me to run out of the house naked and screaming. I'm just telling you right now. You know? And it wasn't just one guy. It was a whole group of them. Seven sons of Sceva. They're just overpowered by one demoniac. And so they also, demons are involved in carrying out Satan's evil plan. Second Corinthians eleven fifteen. Paul says, Therefore it is no great thing if his, Satan, ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Remember, he hates righteousness. So he wants to deceive people to believe they are righteous when they're not. And so he uses teachers to teach a false righteousness who are empowered by demons so that people will embrace a false righteousness thinking they are righteous and Satan goes, don't got to worry about them anymore. You know, because I've got them to believe that their false righteousness is actually righteousness. And we're in the day and the hour, folks. We need to pay attention. We need to know the word of God. We need to know what he says because... If we know the Bible, if we know God, and we know Jesus, then we know what righteousness is. And we will know what it isn't. And righteousness was never meant to tickle our ears, was never meant to give us permission to sin. Righteousness only comes through true repentance, through true God truly forgiving our sins, for us turning our ways, walking in, in, in forgiveness of sin, and coming before God in the purity washed in the blood of Jesus. That's the only true righteousness. Demons promote idolatry. Listen to what they did to the children of Israel. This is after they had been set free from Egypt. He says, this is God speaking to the children of Israel in writing the law. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons. After whom they played the harlot, they shall be a statue forever to them throughout their generations. Deuteronomy 32, 17 says, they sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods. New arrivals that your fathers did not fear. The writer of Psalms, the children of Israel went so far, they not only sacrificed to idols, they sacrificed their children to idols. Listen to what the psalmist says. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. 
They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. How deceived can you become to when you turn your back on the God who sets you free and you embrace the other gods and the other teachings of the land you're sent in to occupy and so much so that you're willing to take your children and to offer them as sacrifices unto demons, unto Molech. And most believe that Molech, they would take these idols, the idol of Molech, and they would heat it up to it was fiery hot. They would glow with red and it had arms out, and they would place their children in the arms of the idol as it glowed and would just consume their children. These were the children of Israel. These were the ones whom God had set free, who had over and over and over again intervened on their behalf. So don't think that somehow we can't be deceived. Everyone in this room is one decision away. We are all one decision away from unrighteousness. Just takes one, and it's not, it's not going to be a big one. A deception is a deception for a reason. You don't know that you've been deceived until it's too late. If a deception was a blatant thing, we could let it go, I'm not a dummy. I'm not going to do that. It's kind of like setting a snare right there and saying, step in this, please. No. We're going to say, no, I know that's, gonna, that, that's not going to be for my good. Deceptions are not blatant. They are very subtle. So demons also promote false teaching. Again, I read this before. Now, the Spirit especially says in the latter days, some will depart from their faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Demons can, uh, can possess and afflict people. There are some people who are sick because of demons. There are some people who are blind because of demons. Some people who are deaf because of demons. Some people who can't speak because of demons. But the church has two extremes. There are those who don't believe any of that is caused by demons. And then there are others who believe that everything bad is caused by demons. Neither is true. Can I tell you that a demon may tempt me, but I have to choose to sin myself. He doesn't sin for me. There used to be that old show called Laugh-In, and, and uh, Flip Wilson, his favorite line was he played the church woman. Every time he sinned, the devil made me do it. The devil doesn't make you do anything. You have a free will to choose and choose to do it or choose not to do it. So they promote. So here's some of the sicknesses we see that were demonically caused but were healed when the demons were exercised. Dumbness, the inability to speak. Matthew 9, 32 and 33, they went out. Behold, they brought to him, meaning Jesus, a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying they'd never seen anything like this in Israel. Blindness, Matthew 12 22. <clears throat> then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. He healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. So we see that these were sicknesses that were caused because they were demon-possessed. Conv convulsions and suicidal mania. This is a father who's bringing his son to Jesus because they have no control. Their son is so demon-possessed, he throws himself into fires. Listen to what the Father says. And they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit, the demon, convulsed him. This is a little boy. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked the Father, how long has this been happening to him? This is Jesus asking the Father. And he said, from childhood. And oftentimes he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Talking about the demon. Has thrown the son into the fire and into the water. 
But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Demons cause mental disorders that include isolation, nudity, filth, and self-injury. I'm telling you this. I mean, we have it in, in America. People show up to rallies nude. You know, what, what is it that's going on nationally where people have this that comes over them? And according to Scripture, it's, it's not new. It's been going on for a long time. Luke 8, it's, it's, it's about the gatherings. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, this is Jesus. So Jesus is getting out of the boat. As soon as his foot touches the dirt, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. He wore no clothes. He didn't live in a house, but he lived in tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him and was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? Talking to the demon. And the demon said, Legion. Because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. See, the demons know, know what their demise is. They know what authority Jesus has. But these demons cause this man to have this mental disorder, to run around naked. To, to, they, they put him in chains, and then the demons drove him out in the wilderness. And Jesus has the authority, and we, Jesus has given that authority to have people walk in freedom. Demons promote selfishness and division in the church, our last point. This is James 3, 13, and 16. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist... Confusion and every evil thing are there. And this let me ask you, are we not a culture that is fed by self-seeking? People self-seeking in their hearts. And, and some of you are going to say, you don't agree with me. But I'm going to tell you, the epitome of our culture is a top-rated show called American Idol. People who are seeking fame, and fortune. They want themselves to be lifted up. And, and we as a nation, we as a world, do a very good job of worshiping people. People who are seeking recognition, people who are self-seeking, we, we just feed right into it. doesn't matter if you're a musician, if you're an athlete, you know, 
We, we can even give spiritual people who are incredibly wise the wrong type of accolades. Um, you know, we all have favorite teachers. The, the, the one guy that I love, sometimes I go to YouTube and I just watch five or six in a row, and that's Robbie Zacharias. Robbie Zacharias. I mean, the guy is just so anointed by the Holy Spirit, so smart. You know, and people who don't know God throw all these questions, these complex intellectual questions, and he just says, like I watched the other day, this guy was, he, he's, he's a relativism guy. You know, he believes that, uh, you know, if the world were socialistic, truly socialistic, that nobody would have to be afraid of anything. I'm asking, Ravi, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid of socialism? Why are you so afraid of this? If everybody would buy into it, we could live in utopia. And Ravi got up and says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He says, do you lock your door at night? And the guy goes, yeah. He says, why do you lock your door? Because he's afraid somebody's going to come in. You know, and then he goes on to talk about, you know, the, the, the two most oppressive killing regimes in the history of the world were Nazism and China, communism. Both of those were socialism. Both of those were supposed to bring utopia. I just love when brilliant people who love God can just say something so simple and shut somebody down who thinks they're so wise. So we need to know that the earth is sensual and demonic and it helps people seek themselves. And I'm going to start with the same thing. I end with the same thing I started with. Remember, Jesus is more real, more powerful, and in control. We can't ignore what demons' schemes are, but we need to know what our commander-in-chief tells us to do. And the only way we know that is to know the word of God and to walk in that authority. You know, for by him all things are created both in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. Finally, Jesus has all authority. He says that all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And it talks about how he has disarmed and defeated all the demons. So we are going to talk about what our spiritual weapons are. We're going to talk about, and armament and weapons are two different things. You know that? Armament protects you. Weapons you have to use. You know, and we'll talk about the difference. And what are the weapons God has entrusted to us? But it's going to be a few weeks before we get to all that. Next week is Easter. I just uh, read Psalm 8 this week if you want to know what the Easter message is about. Just meditate on that and see what it says. A couple of announcements. Um, David, can you get my wife because she has one she wants to make? Joey, do you want to talk about the, the call and about what they're going to sign up for and time?